starting with verse 20. If you have a Scorpio Bible, you'll find it on page 210. All right, 210. Mine's marked up a little bit down here. Is that what it is? Numbers chapter 32 and verse 20. And Moses said unto them, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord, until he hath given out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward ye shall return, and be guiltless <coughs> before the Lord, and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will but if ye will not do so, behold ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. I call to your attention that last line so familiar and so often used for our text, be sure your sin will find you out. Say that out loud with me, please, would you? Be sure your sin will find you out. Try it again. Be sure your sin will find you out. That's both the title of our message and the sex. Let's bow our heads, please, for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching. My, what a joy it is to be a preacher. And then for the joy of being a part of the team here with these dear friends and these dear saints. Now, Lord, <clears throat> hundreds of times we've come to this pulpit. Thousands and thousands of times we've gone to other pulpits across the land and around the world. But we cannot, I cannot, use stale bread. I pray for fresh bread, for a fresh anointing. And I pray that you do something to us in this hour. Anoint me with the Holy Spirit, and may those who listen, listen not only to me, but unto, unto thee, our God and our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I guess one of the most oft-used and oft-preached texts in the entire Bible is the one we just read. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. I recall when I was a kid preacher in East Texas, I used to preach a lot of revival meetings. I don't preach revival meetings anymore because of, because of my being at home every Sunday and Wednesday night. But when I used to preach revival meetings, every revival that lasted for one week, I would preach one sermon to the saved people on the subject, be sure your sin will find you out. If I had a two-week revival, I'd preach to the same, in the same text each week. The first week, I'd preach one sermon on the subject, be sure your sin will find you out, to the, the, to the saved, to God's people. And then the uh, second week, I'd preach at least one night on the same subject to the unsaved people. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now I'm afraid that most of us do not know the context surrounding this passage. And I'm afraid that we preach it sometimes in error. I recall, this is what I used to preach, and this is what I think most of us preach. We think about this subject, be sure your sin will find you out. We think of this, this text, and that is that if you live in sin, 
Uh, you'll be caught up to it. You won't hide it. You may hide your drinking for a while. You may hide your immoral life for a while. You may hide that you're robbing God for a while, but be sure your sin will find you out. Now that is the truth. It's a Bible truth. And I do not think that, that, that you do an injustice to this passage when you use that kind of a, of, of a thought and preach um, thusly. However, <coughs> the truth is, I want to lay the background tonight for this, for this text. If you listen to me now for five minutes on purpose, I think you'll get much more out of the message. In fact, you'll get the entire truth if you listen very carefully for five minutes. Um, Moses had led the Israelites for these 40 years in the wilderness. Now then, God is telling them to go inside the Promised Land. Though Moses did not get to enter the Promised Land himself, God is preparing the people for the entrance into the Promised Land. Two tribes of the twelve tribes of Israel came to Moses, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. And they sent representatives to Moses and said, Moses, you know this. We are a sheep-rearing, or raising, and a cattle-raising people. On the east side of the Jordan River, there is very fertile land. Now what we'd like to do is this. We'd like to leave the say on the east side of the Jordan. Let the other ten tribes cross the Jordan and fight the battles and, uh, and settle on the west side of the Jordan. But we, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, would like to stay on the east side of the Jordan and there rear our children and enjoy our wives, raise our cattle, and raise our sheep. Moses, could we stay on the east side of the Jordan and settle here? And Moses replied with that wonderful text that preachers often use more often. He said, Shall your brethren go to war? And he said, Here. Shall your brethren go to war? And he said, Here. What he's saying is this. You have no right in this world not to go across the, the Jordan and fight the battle with the other ten tribes. What he's saying is, what's good for one Christian is good for all Christians. If it's right for one Christian to go to church on Sunday night, it's right for all Christians to go to church on Sunday night. If it's wrong for one Christian to lay out a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, it's wrong for all Christians to lay out a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. If it's wrong for one, one Christian man, a boy, to wear long shaggy hair, it's wrong for uh, every Christian man, or boy, to wear long shaggy hair. If it's wrong for one lady, uh, pardon me, female, to wear a miniskirt, it's wrong for all females to wear a miniskirt. One fellow said to me right here a ago, he said, I heard you preach over 20 years ago, and I heard you preach again this morning. He said, you're just as mean now as you were over 20 years ago. Well, bless God, you check with me 20 years from now, and you'll find the same thing that you do. I said, you know why? I believe the same things I believed 20 years ago. Well, well and by the way, what was right 20 years ago is right tonight. What was wrong 20 years ago is wrong tonight. There are a lot of you rascals used to preach like I preach, and the little world changed, and you decided to change, and, uh, and, and you gave a bit. Uh, there, there are a lot of you preachers that have the same conviction Dr. Bill Rice has, and Bill Rice Lance has, you had it 20 years ago, but you trimmed your message, God pity that kind of hypocrisy. And uh, so Moses said, no, no, you can't stay here on the east side of the Jordan. You've got to go to the west side of the Jordan with the rest of us. He said, uh, shall your president go to war? And you said here, you need to tell me that you want to stay here and enjoy the love of your wife and the comfort of your children and the luxury of your cattle and sheep while the rest of the ten tribes go fight the battle, drive out the enemy, shed their blood, render their sweat, and uh, die on battlefields, many of them. You need to tell me that you expect to stay here while others fight. The sky declared this guy is on flower beds of Eve, all of us fall to win the prize and sail through bloody seas, 
No, I must fight if I would gain. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil and endure the pain supported by thy word. And so, uh, Moses said, no, no, you can't do that. Well, they had a meeting. They came back and they said, Moses, we have an alternate suggestion. We'd like to, we'd like to do this. We'd like for, for you to let our wives and our children and our sheep and our cattle stay on the east side of the Jordan. And we, four men, will cross the Jordan. We'll fight the battle with the other ten tribes. Now, that's just the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. We'll fight with the other tribes, but our wives and our sheep and our children and our cattle will stay on the east side of the Jordan. Then when the battle is over, and the last victory is won, we men will come back across Jordan and settle here with our wives, our children, our sheep, and our cattle. And Moses said something like this. Now, okay, let's get this straight. You will cross the Jordan with us. You will fight with us. Your wives will stay here. Your children will stay here. Your sheep will stay here. Your cattle will stay here. But you'll fight. And then when the battle is over, you will come back and rejoin your wives, your children, your cattle, and your sheep. They said, that's exactly right. Moses said, okay, if you'll arm yourself for war and go with us, fight with us, he said, until the battle is over, and you come back, that'll be okay. But he said, if you do not go fight, if you hide here on the east side, if you stay on the east side of the Jordan, and do not fight with the rest of us, he said, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. So actually, the immediate sin about which Moses was speaking is not adultery, it is not drunkenness, it is not stealing, it is not lying, it is not cheating, in the sense we call gross sin. It's plain, whole, ordinary laziness and not fighting the battle for God. So when God is saying, that when Moses gives this passage, he's saying, be sure your laziness will find you out. Be sure your indifference will find you out. Be sure you're not fighting the battle for God will find you out. Now that all these loafers didn't die when the tribes of Gad and Reuben passed off the scene in this generation. Tonight, America is full of these loafers. Our fundamental churches are baptized in them and filled with them. Our deacon boards are filled. Listen, there is not a real hellfire brimstone preacher in this room tonight. But what hasn't already, or is now, or will soon, be hampered in your work by people like the tribes of Reuben and Gad. These gold bricks, these loafers, they say, we're tired of fighting. We have not we won the battle against Sihon and Og? Let us relive our victories. Oh, on Sunday, these people gather around the Word, and they must be fed. They want sermons to feed their souls. They eat the fat and drink the sweet. They crowd to the table for the best wine. They tuck their spiritual napkins around their backslidden necks and say, Pastor, feed me, feed me, feed me. I get at least that many calls every week of my life from pastors across the country. And here's what they say. Dr. Hiles, we're having trouble in our church. Now, I can write the rest of the story. They need to say nothing else. I know exactly what they're going to say. Some little diatrophies in the church is saying the pastor takes too much on himself. And they don't like the long invitations. And they don't like the bus ministry. And they don't like all that loud preaching. And, well, you don't like it, get out. 
that's good. They like all that loud preaching. They like all that passing out tracts. They like all the altar calls. They don't like staying at church till 12.15 or 12.20 or 12.30 or 12.45 on Sunday. And it's the same story all across this nation. The preachers of the gospel are being hounded by these Gadites and Reubenites who say, Feed me, feed me, feed me. Oh, don't misunderstand me. They love their Bible conferences. They love their worship services. They love their Keswick meetings. They love their sevenfold amens. They love their Julia Hotwins. They love their doxologies. They love their Bible studies. And yet they never turn a hand to do anything for God. While the battle rages, these gold bricks gird no armor, grasp no sword, hurl no spear, throw no stone, shed no blood, render no sweat, or, 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 or eat no tears. They just gather around the word and they say, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. I met one of these spooks one time down in Dakota, Georgia. She came up to me and she said, Dr. Hyle, and she had a deep, funny look in her eye. You can always tell them because they look very spiritual. And she said, Dr. Hyle, you strike me as being a very deep student of the word of God. I thought she struck me as being a very discerning person also. And uh, she said, uh, do you know the deep things of God? And I thought, well, I'll play along with her. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She said, I knew you would. When I looked in your eyes, yeah, I got my eyes real spooky too. And uh, so, when I, I'll buy that picture from you if you let me have it. <coughs> I'll buy the film. <coughs> and uh, she said, over Revelation, chapter 19, it talks about our Lord coming back to earth on a white horse. She said, does that horse, that word horse, she said, that word moves me. Well, horses move on, but you give them back. And uh, she said, they move, that moves me. She said, there's something deep there. Do you know what that means? Do you know the deep truth? Or what that horse stands for in the word of God? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. I knew you would, she said. I knew you would. She said, what does it stand for? I said, a horse. <laughs> She said, Dr. Hyde, <coughs> she said, that, uh, that horse is called a white horse. She said, does that white have any deep truth in it? I said, yes, it does. She said, what is it? I said, that's the color of the horse. <coughs> now listen to me. These, these deeper, so-called deeper life people, those they like to call John Rice, the, uh, you know, the, the ignorant theologian, and uh, he's sort of shallow. And Lee Robertson doesn't go deep enough in the things of God. And Dr. Bill Rice is sort of, he wades in shallow water all the time. And they like to talk about how much they know the Bible all through it. Listen, do you know, you know, you'll learn your Bible accidentally in a soul winning church than you will on purpose in a so-called deeper life church. You'll stumble across more Bible in a hellfire and damnation church than you'll find looking for it in a so-called deeper life church. You'll get more meat of the word off the orders of a soul winning church than you will the entree of a deeper life church. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of, of those of us who believe this book and preach this book and propagate this book being called by these who, who are lazy, these gold bricks, these Gadites, and these Reubenites, that they were sort of shallow. <coughs> they, uh, oh, they have their favorite scriptures. <coughs> they know the scriptures. Listen, they know more types than God knows. They can take you to Daniel chapter 2, and they can tell you what the beast stands for. They can tell you what the leg on the beast stands for. 
They can tell you what the foot on the leg stands for. They can tell you what the toe on the foot stands for. They can tell you what the nail on the toe stands for. They can tell you what the polish on the nail stands for. They know the Word of God. But they get strangely restless about 12.15 on Sunday when sinners are kneeling at the altar and coming to God. Oh, they have their cliches. They say, don't pluck green fruit. And they say, they say that we can preach easy believism. And they say, let's just gather round the Word. Let the Word do its work, they say. Let me show you how ridiculous that is. What's the suppose that tonight, about 2 o'clock in the morning, Kathy leans over, looks over to you, wakes you up and says, Sweetheart, and you say, are, 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 and, and you say, are you sick? And, uh, and uh, you wouldn't have called me, sweetheart. And uh, she says, I think I hear somebody downstairs trying to break in the house. I think I hear somebody. And Dr. Bill, uh, he, uh, he says, okay, I'll pray for you while you go down and check on it. <laughs> and so she goes down and she checks, and sure enough, somebody's outside trying to break in. Let's go back to the days when, when, when the kids were home. And uh, so uh, all the families at home now. And so Dr. Bill, uh, she comes back up and pulls him out from the bed and says, Yeah, there's somebody down there. Yeah, there's somebody there. He said, Don't you worry, Princess. I've got a gun in the closet. I'll get it. I'll protect you. That gun is loaded. I all ready to go. So he goes. He wakes up Pete. He says, Pete, there's somebody out outside. Don't you worry now. Dad's got the gun in his hand. But don't you worry. Now, Bill the third. Uh, there's somebody outside trying to break in. He's got a gun. But I've got a gun. And uh, don't you worry at all. And now also, uh, uh, he says, girls, I want you now. <laughs> so, uh, don't you worry now, Betty, don't you worry. And uh, <clears throat> here we are. We're going we're gonna to go downstairs, and everything's going to be okay because Dad's got the gun. And so he goes downstairs, gets in the room, and he puts the gun right in the middle of the floor. Now he says to one of the girls, you get over here. And the other, you get over here. And Pete, you get over here. And the third, you get over here. And Princess, you get over here. And I'll get over here. And Christopher says, what in the world are you doing? He says, we're going to gather round the gun. We're going to gather round the gun. She says, what do you mean? He says, look, we're not going to shoot this gun. It's irreverent. It's too spectacular. It makes too much noise. It makes smoke in the house. We're going to gather around the gun. She says, why, you crazy fool, you, you get that gun and shoot his gizzard with it. That's what that gun is for. Isn't it ridiculous? Listen, listen. God never intended for this book to be a, 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 a piece in a museum. God intended for this book to be a sword to use, to use in warfare, and to use for to fight the devil. And Moses said, if you do not get in defense, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. These modern chorus, we have some here tonight, and by the conference like this, they always attract them, just like molasses attracts fires. You comply. You've, uh, you've got them here. They're here tonight. Some of you men right, right tonight, right tonight, are giving your pastor all kinds of trouble because uh, he's a little bit too evangelistic and operates those buses and all the full of bus kids coming in. These modern chorus, they call a preacher who fights sin illegally. He leads like Moses did. He's a dictator. He loves souls. He's shallow. He has zeal. He has wildfire. These Monday morning quarterbacks never make a tackle, never complete a pass, never make a first down, never kick a field goal, or never win a game. They just sit in the stands and criticize those uh, who are doing time to do something and cheer those who run off sides and are guilty of unnecessary roughness, kicking, and uh, and uh, being offensive in the game. These uh, these dioceses grow nurseries of weeds in our churches. They soak crabgrass down the aisles. 
They're what Jesus during the invitation. They're notoriously against the buses and, and, and being scattered abroad everywhere. If 3,000 ever got saved today on one day, it wouldn't be a Pentecost, it'd be a Holocaust. They're termites who eat away the foundation of our churches. Buses circling the field to try to pull the carcass of all the new converts. They're parasites who, uh, who, um, who live on other soil. They're cold cats who spray their odor on every church in America. They're serpents who shoot their deadly venom at every soul-winning church in this land. They're cockroaches who infect every person in our churches. If we don't watch out, don't you talk to me about your spirituality. You're a backslidden hypocrite, what you are, unless you're winning folks to Jesus Christ. They're, they're everywhere, by the way. You'll find them nestled on deacon boards all over America. And, and they, they're usually on pulpit committees. In fact, they're often on deacon boards, a little girl in our church. She said, I like First Baptist Church of Hammond because the pastor stands behind the pulpit and all the demons sit down on the front. <laughs> oh, they, oh, you'll find them on finance committees. It's their job to count the money. It's their job to take care of the business of the church. Brother, if your name is written in heaven, if your sins are forgiven, if you're God's child, it's your job to go soul It's your job not only to be for the ministry of soul winning, but get you a bus route, you finance committee member, and get you a Sunday school class in Dublin, and get out and pass, on, pass out tracks, and get out and knock on doors and go house to house, and get right with God and get busy doing the things that God wants you to do. These east-siders, they live on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, to be folks tonight, you belong to the East Side Baptist Church. And everywhere I preach this, there are always some East Side Baptist Church folks represented. But I changed my name to West Side Baptist Church if I were you. I wouldn't park my carcass on the East Side while folks are fighting over on the West Side. I'll get in the mud and get busy for God. I said, Bill Hyde, I, I want you to know I serve on the flower committee. Well, it shouldn't take you seven days to put the tunes on the green table. When I first went to Hammond, one dear soul, I went by the church kitchen one day, and one dear soul, lady, she was about 65, she said, ever since you've been here, you've made light of my service for God. She said, you, you always say, if you're not a soul winner, you're not right with God, and you're not right with God if you're not a soul winner. Don't care who's deacon board you're on. I was up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, preached this sermon of the night, and I got through, a fellow came to me, and he said, I'm a deacon in a local church, but he said, I bet sure wouldn't be a deacon in your church. And I said, boy, you just don't know how true that statement really is. <laughs> I was out, that's right, and I was out in Southern California. And uh, he had preached, and I, when I preached on soul winning, and the, a seminary professor had brought 40 class members with him, and they sat over here on this side, and I preached on soul winning or something like it. When I finished preaching, <clears throat> he brought his class down the front, and they, they gathered around me. And the professor said, Dr. Hyers, I'd like to straighten you out on your theology. Well, I may, I may need some straightening out, but there's no seminary professor can do it, that's for sure. And uh, so uh, I said, what is it, doctor? And he said, you said in your sermon this morning that every Christian ought to be a soul winner. He said, Dr. Hyatt, let me teach you some deep things of God. He said every Christian is not given the gift of soul winning. And his class member started laughing and making fun. He said, now what are you going to say to that, good doctor? And I said, just one thing, are you an idiot in any other area, or is that the only area in which you're a moron? Hey, hey. 
He said, what do you mean? I said, a man that thinks soul winning is a gift ought not to take care of the church nursery. Must have teaching in seminary. Soul winning is not a gift. It is a command from Almighty God given to every single blood war saint. You and you and you. But you say to the heart, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not turned that way. Then turn around. I'm not built that way. Then get me there. But you say, I'm timid. Then suck your thumb while you go soul winning. But go soul winning. There's no excuses. If your name is written in heaven, you're supposed to be getting other names written in heaven. Our churches tonight are being destroyed. They're being destroyed by these little self-styled Napoleon Bonaparte. And these little self-styled Wall Street executives that are trying to turn the preacher <coughs> one from one. I say to my, my, my people quite often, I, every once in a while, I just have a ritual. We, we don't have much ritual, but this is one we have. I, I want you to know something. We're all here. It belongs to me, and you keep your cotton-picking hands out of it. It's mine. Man, oh, God, give us the old-fashioned prophets of God. Well, why not if you businessmen turn our, turn our attention toward, away from soul winning and toward deeper lifeism, and get caught aside on something less important than winning men to Jesus Christ and plucking souls from the fires of hell? Am I to receive and never give? Am I to eat and never feed? Am I to wear and never curl? Am I to drink? And never offer a cut? No! I'm to join in the battle on the e on the west side and join those who are fighting the battle for God. Which side of the Jordan are you on tonight? Huh? On which side of the Jordan do you live? You say, I take the sword of the Lord. How many souls have you won lately? Well, I have a Schofield reference Bible. How many souls have you won lately? You say, I'm a free millennialist. How many souls have you won lately? I'm a free tribulation. Free millennialist. Show your Bible. Show the Lord reader. How many souls have you won lately? I'm a separate, non-smoking, free tribulation. Free millennialist. Show the Lord reading. Show your Bible to Christian. How many souls have you won lately? I'm a non-breaking, non-card player. Premillennialist. Pre-tribulation premillennialist. Show the Bible to Show the Lord. Read me. Christian, how many souls have you won lately? How many souls have you won lately? There are dozens of people, scores of people, and maybe a few hundred folks sitting in this room tonight who have your name hidden in heaven. You don't, you haven't realized it, but you are living on the east side of the Jordan. You have no right to sit at home and watch your television set while men of God like these and others are out knocking on doors and winning folks to Jesus Christ. You have no right to enjoy the luxury of your home. You have no right to sit on your blessed assurance while others of us are out knocking on doors and fighting the battle for God and doing our best to save this country. If you do not get on the west side of the Jordan, if you stay on the east side, be sure your sin will find you out. Now, how will your sin find you out? The Lord does not leave us in darkness concerning that either. I do not have time, nor would I take the time if I had it to go into it and show you. But I could show you if I could take the scriptures for a few minutes. I could show you. 
How that Moses said, if you do not cross the Jordan, your children are not going to turn out right. What he's saying is this. Be sure your sin will find you out in your children. About, let's see, 15, no, no, 16 years ago, last December, I got a letter, postmark, or a, a address from Hammond, Indiana, First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. I didn't even know where Hammond, Indiana was. All I knew is they probably made Hammond organs there. They do not make Hammond organs there. But uh, <clears throat> they make fundamentalists there now. But, uh, but anyway, he, uh, uh, it said, Dear Dr. Hyde, Dear Reverend Hyde, Dr. Owen Miller has resigned the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. And by the way, we have some folks in this room tonight who, who, who have asked for all the story. They were there when all of it happened, and they're right here tonight. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> said uh, 66 people have applied to our church, but your name has been given to our pulpit committee. If you're interested, please fill out the enclosed application and uh, made it return to us return mail. I filled out one answer where it said comments, and I said I don't believe in applying for churches. Get on your knees and pray down God's man. A few weeks passed, and I got a letter back from the pulpit committee. And they said, we're interested in your application to our church. <clears throat> they said, would you come and, 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 and I'll make it a little shorter than it was, would you come and preach for us in Hammond? I said, no. They said, would you come and visit with us in Hammond? I said, no. You see, I was born in Texas. I was reared in Texas. I pastored four churches in Texas. I, 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 I was hoping I could stay in the Holy Land all of my life and thought I could. And... Uh, and if I did leave Texas, I wanted to go to Mississippi or Louisiana or Tennessee, but not up north. You know why? That's where Yankees live. Now, in those days, I did not want a single Yankee to go to heaven. Now, I love Yankees now. I pastor Yankees now. I have here tonight. They're members of my church, and I love them. My folks are sweet and dear. They now say amen. Well, I take it back. They say amen skin. Praise the Lord's skin. How loose skin, things like that. But... Uh, but in those days, there was another part of the unseen world where I consigned all Yankees. You say, why? Because they shot my great-granddaddy in the back in the Civil War. That's why. You say, why in the back? Well, he's running, you crazy fool. That's why he's in the back. <coughs> so, they wrote back and said, would you meet my committee? I wrote back and said, no. I wouldn't. I preached in Chicago, and in the place where I was preaching, after service, uh, some of the pulpit committee was there, and they came to talk with me. And one of them said, <clears throat> would you preach for our church on Sunday? And I said, no. He said, would you consider our church as pastor? I said, no. He said, well, would you preach for us one time? I said, no, I wouldn't. You won't consider our church? No, I wouldn't. No, I won't. I said, and he said, well, would you, would you come and look it over? I said, no, I won't. He said, well, okay. You think you ought to buy your steak dinner? I said, yes, you can. And uh, so we went out and had a steak dinner together. <laughs> After we had, had the meal, uh, one of the fellows asked me, he said, would you now consider it? I said, no. He said, uh, would you pray about it? I said, no. He said, would you preach for us on Sunday? I said, not interested. And finally, he threw his hands like that, 
And he said, if he did buy you a steak dinner, he said, the least you can do is somewhere, sometime, say a prayer, Lord, could I go visit Hammond in Indiana or not? Amen. I said, okay, I'll do that much for a steak. You don't believe I will, you just ask me. And uh, so I, <clears throat> I, I ate steak, and I, I, uh, and I promised that somewhere, sometime, I'd pray that prayer, Lord, should I go visit Hammond in Indiana or not? Amen. I forgot the promise. Three months passed. I was preaching in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I drove all night from Oklahoma City to Dallas, at the Garland, near Dallas. About three o'clock in the three o'clock in the morning, I came to a little town called a little city called Denton, Texas. Before I got to Denton, suddenly it hit me I had promised a deacon that I'd pray a prayer that I'd not prayed. And I said, Lord, and I sort of chuckled, really. You know, when you know you talk to Lord a great deal, you can tell him a funny story if you want to once in a while. And uh, I said, Lord, <clears throat> this is funny, and you're going to like this too. But I said, uh, I did promise the fella, and, I, and, and you know it's silly, and I know it's silly, and you know it's a waste of time, and I know it's a waste of time, but I made a promise, so here goes. <laughs> Dear Lord, should I go visit Hammond, Indiana or not? Amen. You won't believe this. I don't blame you. Within five seconds, on the right of that highway was a neon sign had three words in it. Hammond welcomes you. So it said neon. <laughs> I stopped the car, got out and lowered the felt of the thing. You sure is a real sign. I noticed it had in paint, clean restrooms, mechanic on duty, cheap gas a long time ago. Cheap gas. And uh, had that in paint. But in neon, it said three words. Hammond welcomes you. I thought that's very interesting. Less than five seconds before, I said, Dear Lord, should I go visit Hammond, Indiana someday? Amen. I got in the car, trembling, drove four and a half miles an hour back to Dallas, Texas, or Garland, Texas. That night I preached in my own church for Wednesday night service. Left after the service for the chairman of the deacon board to go to Coral Falls, Georgia, Lake Louise, Georgia, for a short conference. The deacon chairman drove to Little Rock, Arkansas. I drove from Little Rock to Memphis. He went off to sleep between Little Rock and Memphis, and I drove. I got thinking about that sign last night. I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something last night? I mean, I, I prayed that prayer within five seconds. It said, Hammond welcomes you. Uh, he tried to tell me, and I went to sleep at the wheel, praying. I hadn't slept in two nights. I went to sleep at the wheel. When I woke up, I wasn't over that far on a six-wheel cross-country truck. I skidded the brakes, almost turned over, almost turned around, and finally straightened the car up and just barely tipped the back end of that truck. Would you like to know what two words were on the back end of that truck? Huh? Hammond, Indiana. That's all it says. I said, Lord, if you'll get me home to the court of Georgia safely, if they ever do contact me again, I'll at least go visit that church and see what's there. I got to court of Georgia. You won't believe this. I don't blame you. I wouldn't believe it if you said it. But it's true. I got to court of Georgia. Before I got out of my car, somebody was saying, is Brother Hiles here yet? And I said, yes, I, I'm here. I just, I was still in the car. And they said, Long distance telephone call. I said, it's from Hammond, Indiana, isn't it? They said, how did you know? I said, never mind. I picked up the phone. I did not say hello. I said, I'll be there. <clears throat> I'll be there. Well, 
There's method in my madness. I'll get to it in a few minutes. <clears throat> Make a long story short, we went there. After we'd been there three or four months, the people that had tried so hard to get us recanted. And uh, decided, well, to put it in, in, in dignifying language, they had poo-booed. <laughs> so they, they started a campaign to get rid of me. Now, I know it's hard for you to understand why anybody wouldn't like me. <laughs> but they decided to get rid of me. So they, uh, <clears throat> every morning, my house would be up for sale by a new realtor company. These signs stuck out in the front yard. My life was threatened three times. They set our garbage on fire, which was in the garage, underneath the drape. The drape had just caught on fire during the night. would have all been burned to death if, uh, if, if the Holy Spirit hadn't waked me up when he did. I guess five or ten minutes longer, and all of us had been burned to death. Every night for a week, I had to sit beside my little boy David, five years of age, because he was afraid for me to go to sleep, afraid to try to burn the house and try to kill us. We went through hell. I want to go back to Texas today. Eight different churches have called me back to Texas, Pastor. I want to go back to that, and they wanted me to go to so bad. They got a petition up and said, sign here if you want house to go back to Texas. <laughs> I found it and signed it. No joke, I did. <laughs> More than anybody in that church, I want a house to go back to Texas. We set a meeting. We set a, a Wednesday night where we were going to have a real blowout. I mean, old fa we had an old-fashioned Donnie's look, hair pulling. Now, I'm not kidding. I'm literal. Now, hair pulling, eye blacking, window rocking, barn starting, fist fighting, name calling. In a case or two, cuss word using <coughs> church meeting, business meeting. I mean, we had to 11, 50, I will forget it. Because when I walked in that night, the, the Church of American Baptist in those days, Northern Baptist, the state executive secretary, I mean the big boy, the boy that walked more churches than anybody, he was there with his little sidekick. And I walked up and I said, now listen to me. I called him a name and I said, I know why you're here. You're here because... You, you know there's something dead, and you're circling the field like other carnivorous uh, animals do, and uh, birds. And I said, you're circling the field. Now I said, if you walk in that auditorium, and if you open your Bible and study your Bible with us and keep your mouth shut, you're welcome. But I said, if you as much as stand up in our business meeting, which, by the way, is none of your business what we do, say amen. And uh, so uh, I, I said, if you as much as stand up, I'm going to get four men, one for each arm, one for each leg. We're going to go one, two, three, and we're going to throw you on your bottom on Sydney Street. And I said, if you don't think I mean what I say, you just stick your nose in the business of an old, old, uh, a New Testament independent Baptist church. I said, if you as much as stand up, to speak. We stayed there at 11.15. He didn't stand up for the singing. He didn't stand up to pray. <coughs> and we had, honestly, we had a real church split. One fellow back there, 
stood up in the back corner, waved his fist. I'm going to come down there and beat the fire out of you. He ran down here as fast as he could run. One of my side right here tackled him like a football player would, right there in the altar. You wouldn't believe all that happened. And finally, one lady, one, one female back in the middle here jumped up and she said, If you stay here, what are you going to have for a youth program? And I said, Ma'am, we're going to have all night prayer meetings, house to house soul winning, and study the Bible just like we have for the adult program. I am sick up to here of this modern mob kind of youth program. I'm sick of coffee shops. I'm sick of psychedelic walls. I'm sick of, 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 of long-haired Christians. I'm sick of, of, of making folk and rock music and putting some little sweet words about the old man upstairs that you're pleased. What's going on down here on the lower floor? I'm sick of that kind of garbage. Why don't you get back to soul winning and Bible study and decent Christian living and old-fashioned gospel preaching? How do you a 16-year-old as well as a 60-year-old? So, my own tactful way, my convictions leak through once again. And I said, I said, <clears throat> you say, well, I don't like your preaching. I don't like your living any more than you like my preaching. And if you hate my preaching as much as I hate your kind of hippie living, you'd walk out of the room right now. So she said, I, she said, what you going to have for your youth program? And I said, all night prayer meetings and soul women and Bible study. And she tried to say three things at one time. Nothing came out except, oh, <laughs> She waved her hand like that. Oh, When she said that brief word, she reached down and grabbed her little, a little four-year-old girl, about four years old. She grabbed her with the arm and pulled her, got little back there, to that aisle and back to that door and walked out of the building. When she did, 404 other people followed. On one Wednesday night, we granted 406 letters. Everyone getting that? In that meeting that night, that knock-down, drag-out meeting, there was a 13-year-old boy. <coughs> That 13-year-old boy saw the fighting. He heard the bad words. He saw the fellow back over here in the altar. He heard the lady say, oh, that's right. And grabbed that little girl and walked out. He saw the split. Now get this. That 13-year-old boy went home that night. His mom and dad looked at him and said, Terry, we don't understand all about this preacher, but he's our preacher. And we're going to stick beside him. What they did that night is they crossed the Jordan. They said, we're going to fight. And that little 13-year-old boy is now a 29-year-old boy. Pastor of the great Longview Baptist Temple in Longview, Texas, where on a recent Sunday they had over 2,000 in Sunday school, and where they have a beautiful, beautiful new auditorium seating, I guess, 13 to 1,400 people. One of the two fastest growing churches in the state of Texas. In that meeting that night, in that meeting that night, was his brother, 12 years of age. He saw the fighting. 
He saw the tackling. He heard the dirty words. He heard the way he said, oh, shot. He grabbed her kid and walked out. He saw the split. His mother said to him, Son, we're going to stick beside the preacher. They crossed the Jordan that night. They went to the west side. They did not stay on the east side. That 12-year-old boy is now a 28-year-old boy pastoring what was chosen last year as the, the fastest-growing church in the state of Georgia. That boy's name is Tom Smith. He pastors. He has on the wall of his church tonight. Georgia's fastest-growing Sunday school. He took a church that was down to 125 and 150 and now has gone as high as over 2,000 in Sunday school on a special day and averages over 1,000 in Sunday school. Why? Only why? God has a way of blessing the people who get on the west side of the Jordan and blessing the children of those who get in the battle. There's a third boy in that family. His name was Tim. Tim was eight years of age that night. Eight years old. Tim saw the fighting. He heard the bad word. He saw the church split. His mother and dad said, we're going to stick this out the preacher. Tim is now married to my daughter. <coughs> he uh, started the church about a year ago up in um, Saginaw, Michigan. And within a year, they had advised 600 in their Sunday school. In the circus that night was a 14-year-old boy. His mother went home and said, son, we're going to stick beside the preacher. They crossed the Jordan. That boy is now pastoring a church in St. Paul, Minnesota. In the service that night was a 12-year-old boy. That 12-year-old boy's mom and dad said, we're going to stand beside our preacher. They crossed the Jordan that night. That boy is now pastoring a church in Finley Park, Illinois. In the service that night was a 10-year-old boy. That 10-year-old boy's mother went home and said, Dick, we're going to stick beside the preacher. Dick Loser is now pastoring a church in Decatur, Illinois. How many of you folks are from his church? Would you raise your hand, please? Thank you very much. Dick Loser sat in that meeting that night. Listen to me. Your sin will find you out. You can stay on the east side if you want to, and loaf if you want to, but you mark it down, God will see to it your kids don't turn out like the soul winner's kids turn out. Your sin will find you out. In the service that night was a nine-year-old boy. His mom and dad said, son, we're going to stick beside the preacher. They did. That nine-year-old boy is now principal of a 600-student school in the state, in Leesburg, Florida. In the service that night was a five-year-old boy. <coughs> a five-year-old boy. He's my son, David. He saw the battle. That my, my son, he's now preaching somewhere tonight, I think in Memphis, Tennessee, Little Rock, Arkansas, somewhere tonight, he's out preaching. In the service that night was a seven-year-old girl, my daughter Becky, now married to a preacher. In the service that night was a nine-year-old boy who said, I'm going to stick beside the preacher. That nine-year-old boy tonight is a missionary in South America. In the service that night was a 15-year-old boy. He said, we're going to stick beside the preacher. His mother and dad, first-generation first American. They said, we're going to cross the line and fight for the preacher. That 15-year-old boy now is the pastor of Dr. and Mrs. Russell Anderson and their family. In the service that night was a 17-year-old boy who said, I'm going to stick beside my preacher. In the service that night, he stood stood And that boy now teaches English in, in, in uh, Hiles Anderson College. In the service that night was a 15-year-old boy who said, I'm going to stick beside the preacher. That boy now leads the choir of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. Now, you listen to me. 
because of 700 poor people who crossed the Jordan and got on the west side of the 700 poor people. 14 of their children are pastoring Baptist churches somewhere in America tonight. I mean, those 14 kids were there that night. They saw the fight. They heard the fussing. Their parents said, we are going to stand and fight for soul winning and getting the battle. Fourteen of them who were there that night in that meeting of pastoring churches across this nation. Now, wait a minute. Not of the 406 that walked out, now 704 stayed. Of the 406 that walked out, there is not one single child of one of those people who is in full-time Christian service for God tonight. Not one! Not one! Why? Because their parents stayed on the east side of the Jordan, right where some of you folks are, and as sure as I'm standing behind these microphones tonight, there are people in this room who one of these days are going to weep yourself asleep night after night after night. Why? Because you stayed on the east side of the Jordan, you never won a soul, you never built a bus route, you never gotten a battle for God, you never went to church on Wednesday night, you never knocked on doors, you never passed out a gospel tract, you never had a street service, and you are going one of these days to stop going to see to it that your sin will find you out. Now listen to me. <clears throat> I dare any preacher in this house who's a hellfire and damnation soul-winning preacher, I dare any of you to do something. You get the names of the people that have left your church because they're mad at you. <clears throat> and you check and see how their kids turn out. And you compare to the children of those who stood, stood by you through these years, and you're going to find a startling statistic. Fourteen children of 704 people, pastors, not one in full-time Christian churches. Not one. Something awful sad to me. Some of you ladies tonight are here. You're good ladies. I mean, you're, you're honest. You pay your debts, and you're a, you're a loving wife, and you're a good mother as far as, as the necessities of life, and cooking, and housekeeping, and so forth is concerned. And yet, you never run a soul to Christ. You never have built a bus route. You've never done anything much for God. It's sort of sad that the baby you carried your own body and suffered the jaws of death to bring into this world, one of these days is going to break your heart. Now, you go ahead, you go right ahead, and you say, well, I don't believe it. Go right ahead. You will believe it one of these days. Go right ahead. Go right ahead and sit on your complacency and let the lost world go to hell. Go ahead. But you mark it down. If you do not get in the battle, your sin will find you out in your children. <laughs> they used to laugh at me when, I, uh, when our kids were growing up. People said, your kids will grow up and they'll, they'll get the sick of religion, sick of Christianity. They won't want it. They laughed and I wouldn't let any, any of our kids go out in the car alone with a member of the opposite sex. They laughed at me when I said, you've got to be home by 11 o'clock at night. 
They made fun when I'd go break up a party where Becky was at a party. It was five after eleven. And I'd go break it up and pull her home. You say you are so cruel? No, you're the one that's cruel. You you're going to rear these derelict kind of kids. They laugh. Well, Becky and Tim were talking to me about getting married. They were sitting across from me in my study, and I said, Tim, what time do you want the wedding? And he said, How about seven o'clock? And Becky jerked spontaneously, and, and she said, Tim, you know we got married at seven. We couldn't get home by love. <laughs> they don't laugh anymore. They don't laugh anymore, Dr. Bill. They look at Pete and they don't laugh. They look at Bill the Third and they don't laugh. They look at your sweet girls and they don't laugh anymore. Married the preachers and servants of God. They don't laugh at you, John, anymore. You? They don't laugh. They laugh at you and you forget. They don't laugh anymore. Six daughters, all of them married the preachers, and blessed be God, and this is how you found for me. They don't laugh at old Jack House anymore. You about that. Well, they don't. Oldest daughter's married to a preacher, has a bus route. David's a fine young preacher, 21 years of age, preached last week over 5,000 people, one service. Linda, 18, almost 18, Swede, Christian, the chosen, the outstanding Christian in the senior class in, in this year. Not because she was good, but because I'm the superintendent of school. And uh, they don't laugh anymore. Cindy's now 15, a sweet soul winner. A doctor moved into our neighborhood not long ago. And uh, I, I, after a few weeks, I thought, I better go witness to that doctor. I went over and knocked on the door. And I said, Doctor, I'm, I'm your neighbor. I'm Jack Hiles down the street. He said, you're too late. You're trying to get me saved, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, your daughter Cindy's been by here twice already trying to get me saved. Yeah, that's the kind of turn out. Yesterday, I went home for just a few hours. I asked Linda, our middle daughter, if I could take her out to eat. Don't get to do it very much. Up here as much as I'd like to. We stayed together for an hour and a half. We had a wonderful time. We said, I love you, each other. We, 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 we did some loving. We talked about life, talked about our future. I told us proud of her. After I said goodbye to her to go on another trip, it's been a story all through these years. I went to the office and took off my shoes. I always do in the shop. I clapped my hands and I said, Dear God, thank you that you vindicated what I've been preaching all these years. Dear God, thank you that you've answered my prayer, offered up in motel rooms all across this country when I said, Oh God, I can't be home very much, but you know, I'm on the west side fighting! My family's back over on the east side. Lord, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go back on the east side! Till the battle's all over and we meet on the other side. Then I said, God, you gotta see to it my kids turn out okay. Blessed be God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. There is a way you can see to it your kids turn out right. There is a way they won't break your heart when they grow old. There is a way. You won't have to lay at home at night and wonder where that boy is who's on dope or fled to Canada because of yellow-bedded draft dodger. There is a way that daughter won't run around with a bunch of hippies. 
crap. Anyway, you way, you go up and get a haircut. Anyway, your daughters can wear decent length skirts. Anyway, you can be proud of your kids when they grow up and they won't break your heart. And the way you get yourself on the west side of the Jordan River and you start fighting and you start soul-winning and you start teaching your kids right and fight for their souls, their bodies, and their lives, they can turn out decent. I don't miss this. You miss everything else I said. I was in my office a few months ago. <laughs> I guess it's been over a year now. I had an appointment. My secretary calls me and said, Pastor, somebody wants to see you, and I think you'd better see her. It's a, it's a nervous lady. Well, good night. What's so unusual about that? Every lady I know is nervous. Every lady I know is either having a nervous breakdown, just gotten over one, or is planning to have one as soon as she can work it into her schedule. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't see her. I'm busy. She said, Pastor, you better trust me this time. You better see this one. I asked the lady in the office to go out in the waiting room. And this lady came in. <laughs> she walked in trembling like this. Tears rolling down her cheeks. And her, her, her lips were quivering and she's trembling with her hands. And she walked in and she said, Reverend, I'm about to die. I'm about to die. Reverend, I'm about to die! She said, Reverend, you gotta help me, you gotta help me. You don't know me, do you? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, Reverend, she said, I've lived <laughs> for 14 years. 14 years! I've lived in hell. She said, Reverend, 14 years ago I did something one night. Oh, if I had that one night in my life to live over again, that's the night I'm gonna live over. Oh, she said, Reverend, I've lived in hell for 14 years. She said, Reverend, I was in a meeting 14 years ago when we had, church, we had the church built here. She said, Reverend, I was one of the 406 that walked out. Oh, if I just had that night to live up again, I'd love to stay right there with those other 700 people who stood beside you. She said, Reverend, I'd like to have that night over again. She said, Reverend, she said, if I could be that night over again, I wouldn't jump up in the service and say, what you going to do for the young people if you stay? I said, are you that lady? She said, yes, I'm that lady. She trembled like this, and tears falling off on my study, and she'd put her head down like this, and she'd do it like this, and she'd tremble and cry. She said, Reverend, I Reverend, I She said, if I had been over again, I wouldn't ask you that again. She said, I wouldn't take my little girl and throw my fist in the air and say, oh, my God! She said, I walked out with my little girl, but she said, Reverend, listen to me. Here's why I come to see you. She said, the little girl whose arm I took that night, Reverend, Reverend, she trembled. She said, Reverend, she just gave birth to her third illegitimate baby. She said, I've seen young people. I've seen them. I've seen the short hair of the boy. I've seen the decent dress of the girl. I've seen their manners. I've seen their courtesy. I've seen them carry their Bibles. Heaven nights! I cried myself to sleep wishing I'd have stayed in the meeting that night and gone along with you. Oh, she said, Pastor, my daughter right now is in the hospital just giving birth to her third illegitimate baby. Now, you listen to me. You can like me or not. That's not the issue. But you better hear what I'm telling you tonight. Some of you folks here, all in the world you are is fundamental loafers. That's all in the world you are. You're not worth a powder it takes to blow you up. 
and you're not impressing anybody because you come to a Sorbonne Orb conference and sit here and soak in John Rice and Bill Rice and Jack Hyatt and go back home and never win a soul and never bring somebody down the aisle for God and never trouble your baptismal waters and never get you a bus route and never build you a Sunday school class and never go out and pass out tracts on the street and never knock on doors and win souls for God. You, 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 not yet in the battle. Be sure. Be sure. Be sure. You are saying, will. Not might. Will. Not me. Will. Not good. Will. Not maybe. Will. Find you out in your kids. I know what I'm talking about. I've been fasting 28 blessed years. Feed the sheep, 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 feed the sheep. That kind of stuff. Let me ask you a question tonight. And you better listen to me, Mom. That little baby sitting beside you tonight, that little girl beside you here, that little girl here, that little boy that sits right here, that little girl that you love with all your heart that sits beside you tonight will break your heart one of these days if you don't get on the west side of the Jordan. That little child that sits between you over here, these folks in my church tonight, uh, uh, soul winners, uh, fine soul winners. <clears throat> and, uh, and that little girl and the boy, Fifth Peter tonight, all those boys, they are no promise of God. But those boys will turn out to make you proud of them unless you get on the west side of Jordan and get in the battle for God. If you do not, be sure your sin will find you out. Okay, go ahead. I'll believe it. I don't like that loud mouth. I don't give a hoot whether you like me or not if you just cross the river. That's all I'm concerned about. Because if you get across the river, we don't love each other. I mean, the same folks are shooting at your gizzard are shooting at mine. We'll like each other then. See? I want you to... And you better listen. You say, I don't believe it. Okay? You just wait and see. I dare you. I dare you. Take this good man right here, John R. Rice, and Dr. Bill Rice. I dare you to take these men who sat in judgment against them for a quarter of a century, or a half a century almost. I dare you to see how their kids turned out in comparison to these good soul-winning men who've been in the battle on the west side of Jordan for all these years. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. So the pathway to glory may sometimes be clear. It pays to serve Jesus. He said, cross the Jordan tonight. Let me ask you a question now, close. Where are you, where are you living? With your wives and kids and sheep and cattle on the east side? Are you shedding your blood and rendering your sweat and fighting the battle for God on the west side? East siders or west siders? Huh? Amen! East Siders or West Siders? Hey ladies, East Siders or West Siders? Hey teenagers, East Siders or West Siders? Be sure, be sure your sin will find you out. Would you bow your head please for prayer?